Jesus, for us to come confidently into your presence. What an incredible blessing that is. It's something we can never earn or deserve on our own, but it's something you've made available to us by your grace, by your mercy, by your love. Lord, today as we open Scripture, I pray that you will give us a fresh understanding of just the glory of being able to be in your presence, of what Jesus has done on our behalf, and then that we will take it and put it into practice in our lives. We pray these things in your name and for your glory. Amen. So in recent years, there has been a widely publicized trend about the number of people who are turning away from church and Christianity. This trend has been described in a variety of ways. For instance, it has been called the rise of the nuns. And by nun, in this context, I'm not talking about those women who live in a convent. This type of nun is spelled N-O-N-E. The rise of the nuns, those people who claim no religious affiliation. Many of these people who claim to have no religious affiliation did grow up in a church, but something or other caused them to turn away from church or turn away from Christianity. Now there is a similar trend that is called deconstruction. It's not identical, but it's similar to the rise of the nuns. Deconstruction is this idea of re-examining or even dismantling your beliefs piece by piece. You're deconstructing your faith. And there are many different reasons why someone might deconstruct their faith. It's pretty much always in that context someone who grew up in church or someone who grew up identifying as a Christian, but then they turn away or they at least significantly re-examine what their beliefs are. And there are many reasons why someone may deconstruct their faith. One of the common denominators for many is that they feel like they have been hurt by Christians or by church leaders. And that pain they feel causes disillusionment toward church and even toward Christianity. So they deconstruct what they previously believed. Now, the sadness, I recognize and I admit there has been a lot of pain caused by Christians and by churches. So I recognize that to be a reality for many people. But today we're going to be talking about the importance of pointing people to Jesus. Whether they have been hurt by church, or whether they are indifferent toward church, or even whether they like church, it's crucial that we point people to Jesus. Not ultimately pointing people to our favorite podcast, not ultimately pointing people you know, to a great church, even our own church, because you know church can be great, and it's good to like church. Ultimately, we need to point people to Jesus. Not pointing people to politicians or political stances, pointing people to Jesus. That's the best, most important thing that we can do is to point people to Jesus. Because as we will see today, Jesus cuts through all the clutter. He meets people where they are, and he draws them to God. I invite you to turn in the Bible this morning to Hebrews chapter 5. Hebrews 5. Part of our passage will actually start in Hebrews 4, but we're going to begin in Hebrews 5. And if you did not bring a Bible but would like to follow along in one, you can grab one from the pew and turn to page 1206. Now, I think it's helpful to compare Jesus with a finely cut diamond. Let me explain what I mean by this. A diamond has many different facets. 
And when you look at a diamond from different angles, you see it shine in different ways. It looks different. You see different angles of its beauty as you look from different angles. And so it is with Jesus. There are so many different angles from which we can look at Jesus. And each angle illuminates a different facet of his beauty and his glory. Something we may not see if we look at it from a certain angle. So that's why it's good to look at Jesus from a wide variety of different angles. And today we're going to be looking at Jesus from the angle of Jesus as our priest. Jesus is our priest. Now, when you hear this word priest, you may think, well, that's a word we don't use very much in today's culture. This idea of a priest is one that's not super familiar to most people. Now, to be sure, there are certain types of churches that do refer to their lead pastor as a priest, most notably the Roman Catholic Church. But even if you are familiar with this type of priest in churches today, that's probably not going to be very helpful as we come to the idea of a priest in the Bible. So today we're going to let the book of Hebrews be our guide. And we're going to look at this passage in three parts. We're going to first of all see who priests are and what they do. Then we're going to see how Jesus is the very best priest. And finally, we'll see the difference that Jesus is our priest makes in our lives. So we're going to study a pretty large chunk of Scripture today, but I'm going to start with just a few verses. We're going to start by looking in Hebrews chapter 5, verses 1 through 4. It says there, For every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward, since he himself is beset with weakness. Because of this, he is obligated to offer sacrifice for his own sins, just as he does for those of the people. And no one takes this honor for himself, but only when called by God, just as Aaron was. Now, from this passage I just read, I'm going to identify four characteristics of who priests are and what they do. Now, this passage talks specifically about the high priest, who is the top priest in ancient Judaism. But these characteristics apply to all priests back then. So four characteristics of understanding who priests are and what they do. The first one is that priests represented people to God. We see this in verse 1. It says, For every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God. So priests represent humanity to God. There is a major divide between sinful humanity and the holy God. And priests serve as the go-between between humanity and God. So priests represented people to God. And one of the primary ways they did that, secondly, is that priests offered gifts and sacrifices to God. Again, we see this in verse 1 which says, For every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. So priests served in the temple in Jerusalem. And worshipers would bring animals or other types of gifts to the priests to offer on their behalf as sacrifices. And it says that would be performed, quote, for sins. And these sacrifices temporarily 
covered over sins. They didn't finally eliminate the punishment or payment for sin. They just were a temporary covering for sin. So priests offered gifts and sacrifices to God. Now, a third characteristic of priests is that priests were sinful, just like everyone else. We see this in Hebrews 5, verses 2 and 3, which says that the priest can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward, since he himself is beset with weakness. Because of this, he is obligated to offer sacrifice for their own sins, for his own sins, just as he does for those of the people. So priests were called to live holy lives. But priests were human, and humans sin. It specifically says in this passage that priests were, quote, beset with weakness. This is not something specific to priests. They were just human. This is a characteristic of humans. Now, there are two things about priests being sinful that I want to point out. One is that priests were required to offer sacrifices for their own sins and not just for the sins of others. So that's one thing. They were required to offer sacrifices for their own sins. But the other thing I want to point out is that a priest's own sin should lead them to be humble and gentle in how they relate to others. Verse 2 says that the priest can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward since he himself is beset with weakness. Now, unfortunately, this did not always happen. Because of the important role that priests played, and because of the pedestal that people put priests up on, priests were very prone to pride, which led to all kinds of sin. And throughout history, unfortunately, there have been many accounts of spiritual leaders who take advantage of people whom they lead. There's a common phrase in recent decades of spiritual abuse. Spiritual abuse takes place when a spiritual leader like a pastor or a priest uses their role to manipulate people or to use people or take advantage of people, whether it's financially or sexually or politically, or whether they tear people down verbally or emotionally. These are all examples of of abusing the power and influence that is inherent in the role of a pastor or a priest. It's spiritual abuse, and unfortunately it's happened many, many times. I mean, I could list big-name pastors who in recent years have crashed and created chaos and drugged down with them the faith of many other people around them. It's really, really sad, and it's not just the big-name pastors who've done this. It's also happened among many just ordinary, everyday, commonplace pastors and priests. On top of this, I can list many places in Scripture where spiritual leaders have abused their role and they have hurt many people. They have pulled many people away from God even as they claim to be serving God. This is tragic, but it's certainly not a new problem. So priests were sinful just like everyone else and this should have created a lot of humility as they served people and served God. They were not inherently better than other people. Rather, by God's grace, priests, and this is the fourth characteristic, priests were called by God as descendants of Aaron. Now, Aaron was the brother of Moses, and God called Aaron and his descendants to be priests. This is why verse 4 says that no one takes this honor for himself, but only when called by God just as Aaron was. 
Now, becoming a priest was not a decision that a person back in that culture could make. You know, in our culture, it's common for adults to ask children, hey, what do you want to be when you grow up? That's a relatively modern type of question. It's common in our culture because, you know, it's the idea of, you know, you can be whatever you want. Back in ancient cultures, including ancient Israel, that was not a question that was asked of children, what do you want to be when you grow up? Because typically, whatever the parent did is what their child would do as well. A priest was a priest because he was born into a priestly family who was descended from Aaron. So priests were called by God as descendants of Aaron. So that is four characteristics of who priests were and what they did as we see recorded in Hebrews chapter 5. And this is also, uh, it's, it's, it's in alignment with what's written in the Old Testament. So let me just summarize what we've seen so far about priests. A priest represents people to God primarily by offering sacrifices for atonement in, uh, of sin. They represent people to God. And there was a high priest as well. They were the top priests at any given time. And now we're going to move on to the second main aspect of our, of our message today, which is how Jesus is the best priest. This is not merely a history lesson on priests, but it's specifically focused on how Jesus is the best priest. Let's pick up in Hebrews 5.5. 5. It says, So also Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, but was appointed by him who said to him, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. As he also says in another place, You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him, being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Okay, I said earlier that we're going to also look at a few verses in chapter 4. So now we're going to jump back to Hebrews 4, verse 14, which I skipped over earlier. Hebrews 4, 14 says, since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So as we examine why Jesus is the best priest, I'm going to compare him to those four characteristics of priests that we looked at earlier. So we saw earlier that priests were called by God as descendants of Aaron. Now Jesus was called by God as a priest like Melchizedek. So he is a permanent Priest. Now, let me explain what I'm talking about. Jesus was not descended from Aaron. And you might think this would disqualify Jesus from being a priest. But Jesus was a different type of priest. He fit in a different and a rare category of priest that is related to a guy named Melchizedek. We see in uh, verse 6 of Hebrews 5, it quotes Psalm 110 saying, You are a priest forever. 
after the order of Melchizedek. Now, Melchizedek was a king who is also described as priest of God Most High. You can read about Melchizedek in Genesis chapter 14. Melchizedek was a priest, but he's a different type of priest. He was also a king, and he lived long before Aaron lived. Now, Jesus is described as a priest like Melchizedek. Jesus was both a priest and a king. He is actually the pinnacle of both the priesthood and being king. And because Jesus is identified with this different type of priesthood, and especially because of his divine nature and because he was resurrected, he is described as a priest forever. Unlike all the priests who were descended from Aaron, who he had one, then another, then another, and a whole lot of different priests, after Jesus there are no more priests. Because he is the final priest. He is the best priest. That's why Hebrews 4.14 calls Jesus the great high priest. There are none better than Jesus. So Jesus is a priest forever. He is a permanent priest. Also, we saw that priests were sinful just like everyone else. But Jesus never sinned. Even though he was tempted, he is a compassionate priest. We see this in Hebrews 4.15, which says of Jesus, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. So Jesus never sinned. Therefore, unlike other priests, he does not have to offer sacrifices for his own sin because he was pure and he was holy. And we might think, well, because Jesus was so holy, that would lead to pride because it would make him look down on other people because others sinned, but not Jesus. But Jesus was the humblest person to ever walk on this earth. He was the embodiment of humility. And so therefore, rather than pushing us away, he welcomes us in. He was described as a friend of sinners. I mean, he knows what it's like to be tempted. And this can be comforting for us. Jesus knows what it's like to be tempted. I mean, his, his most well-known temptation was at the beginning of his ministry when Satan came and tempted him multiple times in a big, big way. But Jesus also faced temptation throughout his life, just as we do. He knows what it's like to be tempted. And in fact, there's a sense in which he felt the full weight of temptation in a way that we don't. Because we at times give in to temptation, whereas Jesus never did. We see that he can sympathize with our weaknesses. And I think this is just amazing because it's common for humans when we are good at something and we encounter someone else who is not, it's common for us as humans in pride to look down on them. But Jesus doesn't look down on us. Rather than looking at us with condensation, not condensation. My wife said that same word yesterday as she was talking about uh, condescension. Let me, let me back up here. Rather than looking at us with condescension or condemnation or condensation, <laughs> Jesus looks at us with compassion. I mean, it's compassion. Not condemnation, not condescension. He looks at us with compassion. He is a compassionate priest. Now, priests 
They offered gifts and sacrifices to God. Jesus offered prayers to God as well as offering himself as the perfect sacrifice. That makes him a generous priest. Verse 7 says that in the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. So like other priests, Jesus prayed. And he was fervent in his prayers. But unlike other priests, Jesus did not sacrifice animals. Instead, he offered himself to be sacrificed on our behalf. He was a generous priest. Now finally, the fourth characteristic is that priests represented people to God. Now, Jesus represents people to God as well, but rather than doing so from God's temple, physically, in in essence, removed from God, he does so from God's very intimate presence. He is an effective priest. We see in Hebrews 4, verse 14, that since then we have a great high priest who passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. So it says that he passed through the heavens. This is a a reference to the fact that after Jesus' resurrection, he ascended to heaven. He passed through the heavens. He passed through the sky. He went into the very presence of God where he now is representing us to God. He is, in essence, our defense attorney. And we need a defense attorney because of our sins. He is our representative to God. In 1 John chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, the, the Apostle John, who at that point is elderly, he says, My little children, I am writing these things so that, you do not, uh, so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins. Now, propitiation means to turn away wrath. It means that Jesus took the penalty and paid the price that we deserve for our sins. I mean, the admission fee into God's presence and into heaven is incredibly and impossibly high. But Jesus paid that price on our behalf. We are welcomed into God's presence. Jesus is an effective priest. So Jesus truly is the best priest. I want to close by talking about the difference this can make in our lives. Just a couple things I want to say about that. First of all, through Jesus, we can have joyful confidence in our relationship with God. A joyful confidence. Hebrews 4.16 says, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So God's presence here is not described as a throne of judgment or a throne of wrath or even a throne of indifference. It's a throne of grace because of what Jesus has done for us. Because Jesus is our high priest. We can't draw near to God because of anything that we do because sin taints us in and of ourselves. But because of what Jesus has done for us when we come to faith in him, we are welcomed confidently into God's presence. Let me give you an example. Just kind of think about it this way. Imagine you're going to a Brewers game. And you have a ticket in your hand. Your ticket gives you confident admission 
into that Brewers game. All you have to do when you come to the gate is present the ticket. And if it's a valid ticket, they let you right in. And when you go to the gate with a ticket, you don't have to be digging your wallet or digging your purse to pull out more money to let yourself in. All you need is a ticket. And our ticket into God's presence, our ticket into heaven, is Jesus. We don't have to come and say, well, here, here are my good works, here's my other stuff. All we need is Jesus, our great high priest. When we come before God, we can just say, you know what, I am here with him, with Jesus. And then we are welcomed with confidence into his presence. You know, I find many people still feel insecure with God. They still feel like God would not want them because of their sin and their brokenness. If that's the case for you or for others around you, I want to commend you a quote from Martin Luther. I love this quote. He says, So, when the devil throws your sins in your face and declares that you deserve death and hell, tell him this, I admit that I deserve death and hell. What of it? For I know one who suffered and made satisfaction on my behalf. His name is Jesus Christ, Son of God, and where he is, there I shall be also. So we can come confidently into God's presence and point to Jesus and say, I am here with him. Jesus gives us confident access to the very presence of God. So that's one huge benefit of Jesus being our priest. A second benefit I want to point out is that even though Christians, leaders, and churches let us down and may even hurt us, Jesus never will. I mean, sin is still pervasive in our world, and there's a lot of brokenness and immaturity and confusion even among those who claim to follow Jesus. Among other things, this shows the importance of surrounding ourselves with Christians who are humble, who are gracious as they seek to follow Jesus. But even more, it highlights the importance of pointing people to Jesus, of keeping the focus on him, because only Jesus will never let us down. And for those who have been hurt, Jesus offers healing. And for those of us who have sin in our lives, which is all of us, Jesus wants to play the role of priest for us. I mean, I think of a woman who, who's caught in adultery as recorded in John chapter 8. It's a woman, she's caught in adultery. The Jewish leaders, you can imagine even including some of the priests, they want her to be condemned. So they drag her in front of Jesus. They're trying to trap Jesus as well because they don't like him. They, they say, Jesus, we got her in adultery. What do you say we should do with her? The, the Mosaic law says we should stone her to death. And Jesus says to the Jewish leaders, let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. And it says that one by one, those Jewish leaders walked away until only Jesus was left. With the woman still standing there, it says that Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. So what we see here is that Jesus played the role of priest. He interceded on behalf of this woman. He could have condemned her, but instead he showed her compassion. 
She could have been very, very hurt by those religious leaders. She could have been turned off from God forever. But Jesus interceded. He showed compassion. He met her where she was. He offered her forgiveness. He protected her. He also said, go, leave your life of sin. He called her to holiness. And ultimately, he pointed her back to God. This is what a priest does. This shows why Jesus is the very best priest. And this is just beautiful, isn't it? I mean, this is the type of beauty that can draw people to Jesus. Unfortunately, though, sometimes people miss out on the beauty of Jesus because they're so focused on the faults of his followers. The reality is every single one of us has sin in our lives. All of us will let other people down at times. We need to be humble about that. We need to be gentle about that. We need to acknowledge that reality that we let people down at times. Churches let people down at times. That's why it's so important that we are humble and also point people to Jesus. Because only he will not let people down. We need to point people directly to Jesus as he's revealed in Scripture. And along the way, we need to make sure that we're fixing our own eyes on him as well. Now, from today's passage, you can probably see why Jesus was not very popular among the Jewish leaders. He was popular among the people, especially those who are publicly identified as sinners because he's a friend of sinners, but he was not popular with the Jewish leaders of his day because he essentially rendered the Jewish priesthood and even the Jerusalem temple obsolete because Jesus offers a way to come directly to God through trusting Jesus, not through all the sacrifices, because Jesus, through his death on the cross, means that all the sacrifices, all the animal sacrifices in the temple are no longer needed. He is our high priest. He has been sacrificed in payment for our sins. There are no more priests needed. There are more, no more sacrifices needed, because Jesus has opened the door through himself for us to come confidently into God's presence. As Hebrews 4.14 says, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast to our confession. This means don't let go of Jesus. Fix our eyes on Jesus and point others as well to his beauty, his glory, and his grace. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that as you came into this world, that you came as a priest. You came, there are so many other ways we can look at you and then behold your glory. But today we've been looking at how you are a great high priest. And you truly are great. You truly are glorious. And we thank you, Lord Jesus, for your grace. That while we were yet sinners, you interceded on our behalf. You laid down your life for us. And you continue, you continue to intercede on our behalf as our defense eternity, attorney in heaven before the Father. And Lord, I pray that we will be intentional as men and women who are seeking to follow you to point others to Jesus and to fix our own eyes on Jesus. Lord, there's a lot of confusion in this world. There are a lot of people who are doubting you, who are deconstructing the faith that they grew up with. And sometimes, Lord, that's healthy to, to leave behind the things that are not in Scripture, the, just the traditions that have been built up. Lord, I pray for us 
I pray for those we interact with, those who we may be in our minds right now who have been turning away from you. Lord, I pray that they and we will behold Jesus with fresh eyes, will behold his glory in spirit and in truth, will be drawn to Jesus. And Lord, please equip us and empower us to represent you faithfully to the world around us. That when we do sin, that we will be quick to confess it to you, confess it to others as needed, to be humble, to be gracious and gentle, just as Jesus is gracious and gentle with us. And so, Lord, help us to turn to Jesus and appoint others to him as well. We pray these things in his name and for his glory. Amen.